Our Father, thank you for your word to us. Help us now to be able to concentrate and to be shaped by it. (coughs) Father God, our request is that as a result of our time together we would become a bit more like Jesus Christ as your spirit sharpens us through your word. And we pray with anticipation of the good things that you'll do for us. Amen. A little while ago my wife Sue came home from the playgroup that she goes to with our little boy. She came home with this really strange look in her eyes. It seems that one of the other ladies there, Lisa, had dazzled all the other women with the news of what had happened to her over the weekend. Lisa's husband had come home from work on Friday as usual but unusually and quite mysteriously, without any reason given, he told Lisa and their children to all hop in the car. She was intrigued by all this mystery but nevertheless she and the kids piled in and they drove round to his parents' home where they dropped the children off. And then uh, Lisa's husband, with just the two of them in the car now, he just kept driving and driving and driving till eventually they pulled up at a resort hotel nestled in the wineries at Mudgee and he checked them into a room for a surprise romantic weekend away. Didn't end there though. Lisa walked into the room to find flowers, chocolate and champagne as well as a completely new outfit lying on the bed. Everything. New dress in her size, new shoes in her size, new stockings, new jewellery, new perfume, the works. They even all matched. (laughs) And it was all for her. All to wear out to dinner at the romantic little restaurant that her husband had booked. Believe this guy? (laughs) Sounds like a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie, but it's a true story. And, you know, I can imagine all these women sitting around in this playgroup with glazed eyes listening to this in a circle, (laughs) sighing at regular intervals. He did what? Sue was pretty laid back about the whole thing. I, I mean, I guess when this sort of thing happens fairly regularly to you, the novelty wears off after that. <laughs> but it's a nice story, isn't it? It's nice what Lisa's husband did for her. She clearly matters a great deal for him. All the arrangements, all the expense, all the organising, all the time just picking things out. But she is clearly precious to him. You can tell by all the trouble he went to. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing about something very precious. He's writing to Timothy about the preciousness of the gospel and you can tell how precious it is because of all the trouble that he expects Timothy to go to for the sake of the gospel. All the arrangements he wants Timothy to make, all the expense he wants Timothy to go to, all the organising that he wants Timothy to undertake, all the time he wants Timothy to invest into it, the gospel is clearly very important. Although at the time of uh, Paul writing this letter, many people didn't seem to be appreciating that. Actually get a feel of the background to this letter in verses like verses 13 and onwards in chapter 1. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia 
has deserted me. What a staggering thing to write. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. This is a scary time in Paul's life. Everything this guy's been working for seems to be falling apart. The man is stuck in prison. We know that from later on in the chapter when he talked in chapter 2 that was read when he talked about being chained like a criminal. Worse still, we know from chapter 4 that he's stuck in prison not expecting to come out of it alive and all these people around him are deserting him. Worse still, they're deserting the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy to urge him at least to press on. That verse 14 in chapter 1, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That verse is probably a pretty good summary of the entire letter. The good deposit that Paul is talking about there is a reference to the gospel. That's what Paul's been speaking about in the verses leading up to that one. And so what Paul is urging Timothy to do here in that verse and in this letter is to stand firm and to promote and to protect the gospel. Paul wants Timothy to hold hold firm to the truth of the message of Jesus Christ and to commit his life to protecting that message to single-mindedly make sure that the truth about Jesus is not corrupted and it stays out there circulating amongst people because the gospel's too precious to not do that for. The news of Jesus is so valuable that whatever it takes, whatever the cost, it's got to be kept safe. It's got to be protected. It needs to be guarded. Do you appreciate that? What are you doing to guard the gospel? You might have been here at the convention last year. What have you done since last year that has specifically guarded the gospel? Or don't you think it's such a big deal? You'll safeguard the car, you put an alarm on that. Safeguard the house, you'll fit deadlocks around that. You'll safeguard your future, so you've got your insurance and your superannuation all sorted out. But, But safeguard the gospel... Maybe that's a thought that's never even occurred to you. Guys, 2 Timothy is a good read. Here we are at a conference about men, love and leadership. What better way to show your love to your family than safeguarding the gospel for them? What better way to show your care for your mates than protecting and promoting the gospel to them? What better way to exhibit leadership and safeguarding the message of Jesus Christ. It's a good read. And sure, you and I may not be Timothy. Our roles and responsibilities are different to the specific ones that Timothy had when Paul wrote to him. But one central thing is the same. For us, as for Timothy, the message of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. The message of Jesus Christ is the way that people are rescued from hell and placed into the kingdom of God. And sure, the exact circumstances may be different from us and Timothy. But the thing that's the same is that the gospel is valuable and it needs to be guarded. The question is how? What's going to be involved in guarding the good deposit, as Paul puts it? Well, that's what he goes on to explain in chapter 2, the chapter which we read the first half of earlier. Because in that chapter, and indeed in the first two verses, Paul sets the scene of two ways in which to guard the good deposit. 
Verse 1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, in those verses, Paul is pointing out to Timothy two important ways of how to guard the good deposit. The first way is to remain loyal to it himself. You see that in verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, muscle up and stick with the gospel, Timothy. Hang in there, my beloved Timothy. Stay with the gospel for the long haul. And then he offers another way in which to guard the gospel and that is by passing it on to other people who will in turn be effective at teaching and passing it on to other people. Verse 2, And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now you see the two big ideas in those verses? The overall thought is guard the gospel and now it's guarded by being strong in it yourself and guarded by making sure that it never dies out, that it's circulating and reaching new people. Endure in the gospel and entrust the gospel to others who are reliable and will in turn entrust it to others still. They're the two ideas that the, that the chapter hangs on. And as the chapter unfolds, Paul fleshes out those two things uh, one at a time. Firstly, it's this persevering in the gospel. It's being strong in the grace of Christ Jesus that he zeroes in on. Verse 3. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, in serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, he wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Paul's opening here with three pictures to illustrate the commitment that's going to be required for Timothy to stay strong in the gospel. For starters, a soldier is used to exemplify someone who is just focused to the task. When a soldier is in battle, they don't break off to do the shopping, they don't break off to go wash the car. It's the importance of the task that demands their full attention. They are focused, they are undistracted. An athlete strives for the the trophy in a disciplined manner, Paul says, according to the rules. See, it's no use going to the Olympics next year and entering in the 400 metres race but deciding halfway around the track that you're feeling pretty tired, so, well, you're going to cut across the middle of the track and come in first that way. No, in all the pain and the struggle, they don't take those silly shortcuts. They have the willpower, they have the self-discipline to stick to the task properly. They don't give in and let their tiredness cause them to do foolish things. They don't want to be disqualified from the prize that way. The farmer is a picture of conscientious hard work. To be a successful farmer, you've got to ride out the good times with the bad times, haven't you? You've got to just keep on keeping on, even at the difficult times, even at the uneventful times. You've just got to keep working. A friend of mine who used to work at property told me of one particular paddock that he always dreaded working. It was an especially large paddock, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of acres in the one paddock. And he knew that when he'd go out to plough it for the first one or two days that he'd be ploughing, it would be terrible because he'd just sit on that tractor for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours and he'd come in at the end of the day and the paddock wouldn't look any different. It was just so big and you're just doing sort of 
meagre circuits all around it. But you'd come in at the end of the day and you'd tell yourself that you had, you had contributed something and the next day you'd get up and you'd go out and you'd do the same. That's the picture here. The farmer who just keeps on keeping on even when things are happening so slowly that you hardly think anything's happening at all. That level of commitment of a hard-working farmer, that level of self-discipline of a striving athlete, that, that level of single-mindedness of an undistracted soldier, these are what are necessary to persevere in the gospel. These are what are necessary to stay firm in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. These are what are necessary to guard the good deposit. Do you think you've got any of them? I'm not asking you, do you think they're good things to have? I'm not asking you, have you heard these images used before? Because that's the trouble with a passage like this. It is familiar to many of us. But the key issue is not, is this familiar to to you? The key issue is, are you doing any of this? Because we guys are very good at saying things but not carrying them through. We seem to be particularly good at fooling ourselves into believing that thinking something is the same as doing something. It's not a matter of whether you think these are good things to have, it's a matter of whether you have them. After that uh, infamous boxing match in which Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear, Mike Tyson apologised for doing it and Evander Holyfield responded by saying, I think it was good for him to come before the people and apologise. I think that helps. But we have people who will say whatever it takes. I think now his actions have got to follow. Very insightful thing to say. Miraculously say for a boxer. (laughs) Do you see the point of it? It's actions that matter. Simply being familiar with these sorts of images isn't enough. The question is, have you got any of it? Have you got the commitment to keep on with Jesus even when things are happening so slowly that they don't seem to be happening at all? Have you got the commitment to that church or that small group even when they don't do things that that you're not in favour of? Have you got the self-discipline to be able to turn off the television and spend time with God? Have you got the discipline to get out of bed just that little bit earlier so you can spend time reading the Bible? Have you got that single-mindedness to put away those sins that you know that God is displeased with? Have you got the single-mindedness to be filling your mind with those things that are helpful and pure? Have you got the self-discipline and commitment to keep reading quality Christian books? Have you got the single-mindedness to make yourself vulnerable and accountable to a small group of other men? Because following Jesus isn't a bed of roses. It is carrying a cross and enduring hardship. It's about suffering and self-discipline and effort and tiredness. It's about thinking straight even when you are tired. Can you do that? Have you got what it takes? The Apostle Paul was a man who did. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descendant from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point being chained like a criminal. But God's, God's word is not chained. 
Paul rounds out this discussion of persevering in the gospel by actually using himself as an example because, you see, he is focused. This guy is disciplined. He is hardworking. And he so strongly sees the need for people to hear about Jesus Christ that he'll do anything that it takes to hang in there himself. Not so much for himself, but so that others might hear about Jesus. Did you notice verse 10? Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now just in passing there, notice that Paul speaks of the elect as almost an incentive for evangelism. Many of us get all hung up on predestination and God electing certain people and we take the attitude, boy, if God's chosen people, why do I have to do anything about it? If God's called them, it's just going to happen. Paul looks at things in another way though here, doesn't he? Because God has called people, that seems to be the motivation for him to share the gospel with them. God has called people out there. Some of them may be in your office at work. Some of them may be in your sporting team. Some of them may be in your tech course or or your uni course. Maybe it's your neighbour. Maybe it's your little boy. Maybe it's your mum or dad. God has his elect and the way they obtain their salvation is by someone telling them the gospel. And so Paul, he endures everything. Like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer, he perseveres in the gospel so that the gospel might be guarded and that others might be saved. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. That last verse is a little bit unexpected, isn't it? In what sense does God remain faithful? Well, I think it's in the sense that God has promised to discipline and punish those who fall away from him. There are warnings of that all the way through the scriptures, that if you grow faithless, if you do not persevere in the gospel, if you disown God... Mark God's words, he will disown you. He's warned it and he'll do it because he can't disown himself. He's faithful to his word. Which leaves a pretty big challenge, doesn't it? Because after reading verses like that, the big issue that's burning there is are you going to endure or are you going to be one of the ones who fail? Are you going to make the distance or you're going to drop out. Tony was a very keen member of a church I attended once. Tony wasn't his real name, but that's what I'm going to call him. He was one of those really high-profile men in the church. He would lead the services sometimes, head up a Bible study. Tony was also an excellent medical student, very good medical student, and come time he was offered a, a, a very good position at a hospital. Very excellent position, but very demanding. Tony now had less time for ministry. It was a great job but there were long hours attached to it. It meant he had to miss the odd church meeting. He wasn't able to actually run a Bible study anymore. Last I heard, Tony is, well, he's the top of the heap in his professional field but he doesn't call himself a Christian anymore. He has disowned Jesus. Now, his faith wasn't raped. It was seduced. He wasn't ripped violently away from Christianity. He was lured away and it felt really good to him while it happened. 
Brad was uh, a very vibrant guy in a Bible study group I was once in. One of those men who just exuded enthusiasm, a wonderful member to any fellowship, keen for Jesus, sensitive to other people's needs. Brad's only deep wish was that his marriage would improve. Man, his wife just didn't seem to understand him. She just didn't want to take an interest in the things he was interested in. And the loneliness of that sometimes really wore him away. Last I heard, Brad is living with another woman and he has disowned Jesus. What makes you think you're going to be any different to those men? I know we could distract ourselves with an academic discussion about whether they were Christians in the first place. That's not the point. The point is that these were men who claimed allegiance to Jesus Christ and now they don't. The point is that you might be here this morning as keen as mustard but at one stage in their lives both of those men I would think would be just as keen if not keener than you are now. On their weak, your weak spot may not be your career or a difficult marriage. There's more than enough weak spots for us, for us guys. Maybe it's just materialism. Always want to have the new things. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's wrong friends that are corrupting you into bad ways. Maybe it's just going to be a coping with a physical crisis. Maybe it's, it's just the craving for privilege and prestige that seems to be so epidemic amongst us guys. There's no shortage of temptations out there. What makes you think you're going to endure? Have you got the single-mindedness of a soldier? Have you got the self-discipline of an athlete? Have you got the staying power of a farmer? Because Paul says to Timothy, that is what you are going to need to persevere as a Christian man. That is what you are going to need to last the distance. That is what you are going to need to stay strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you don't stay strong, you sure as heck won't be guarding the gospel. It would just be another tragic case of a man who used to call himself a Christian. What's true for Timothy is true for us. If we're going to have any part to play as men in safeguarding the gospel, Surely the first thing we must do is make sure that we endure in it ourselves. Well, Paul goes on. We didn't uh, read the second half of the letter uh, of, this, that, of that chapter, but Paul goes on in the second half to point out that another effective way of guarding the gospel for Timothy is to make sure that it's passed on. Verse 14 keep reminding them of these things. Now I think the them in that sentence is probably a reference back to the reliable men mentioned back in verse 2. Remember those reliable men whom Timothy is to entrust with the gospel so that they will in turn be able to teach others? I think that's who he's going to go on and talk about. And just like Paul gave three images of what it meant to persevere in the gospel, you know, the soldier, farmer, athlete, he now wants to give three other images of what it means for Timothy to effectively pass the gospel on to these men what to look for in these sort of men so that they will be reliable at teaching others. And there's images now of a workman, of a useful container and of a servant. Firstly, there's a workman, verse 14. 
keep reminding them of these things, warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It's of no value, it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. If you ever watch TV shows like A Current Affair, you'll know that they routinely run stories where they expose shoddy tradespeople. You know, the car mechanic who says they've changed the oil filter when they haven't, the, the TV repairman who uses second-hand parts but, says he's, but charges you for new ones. And they always seem to have these hidden cameras, don't they, to catch these sort of people out. And Paul here is saying to Timothy, don't you be like that. Don't entrust anyone with the gospel who will be like that. He wants them to be skilled craftsmen in the way they handle the word of God. Because, hey, a bodgy mechanic, they'll rip you off for a couple of hundred dollars, but when someone is bodgy at handling God's word, that can wreck people for all eternity. For example, if, if people don't know how to handle the Bible well, they can't discern what's important and what's not. And they get into silly, trivial arguments. They quarrel about words, Paul says in verse 14. Worse still, they can go off the rails altogether. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They, they say that the resurrection has already taken place. He names names. These are bodgy workmen. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't be like them. In order to guard the gospel, avoid being like them yourself and avoid entrusting the teaching roles to other people who might be like them. Teachers must handle God's word with great care. Men, as leaders in your family, as leaders within your church, you must handle God's word with great care. There's another illustration that it leads into, verse 20. In a large house there are articles that are made of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some are noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will make an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Now it's a little hard to follow the exact logic through there but what Paul seems to be saying is that we need to make ourselves holy if we are to be useful to God. That being useful is the goal that seems to be in mind here in verse 21. It's all about being so useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. See, I don't know about you, but in our house we have basically two different types of coffee cup. We have the really useful mugs, which we use all the time, and then there are other really silly fine china ones. You know the ones you can't get your finger through the hole? They only ever come out rarely and on special occasions. God does not want us to be like them. He actually wants us to be like the mugs. He actually wants us to be used all the time. And in verse 21, God is saying that the way to do that, the way to be useful all the time is to cleanse yourself and to be godly. In the case of Timothy, Paul points out that that's going to involve a few different things. Verse 22, for example, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. The linking idea here, I think, is that Paul wants Timothy and the guys he's going to entrust the gospel to to strive for holiness so that God will use them. And it's with that idea that the illustration shifts slightly to the third one, that of a servant. Verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. 
Those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. See, if you want to effectively hand the gospel on, you need to handle the gospel well, but you also need to have a godly life. They are the two things that go together. And Paul is encouraging Timothy here to be both those things and to look for other men who also have both those qualities. Look for men who will be reliable and qualified to teach others because they handle the Bible skilfully and faithfully and they are godly. They are the things that we are to look for in our church leaders. They are the things we need to demand in our church leaders. They are the things that you and I need to strive for as leaders within our churches and within our families. See, it's worth thinking about. If Timothy was around today, do you reckon he'd pick you? I mean, here's the scene. Paul wants Timothy to entrust the gospel to reliable men qualified to teach others. Well, here's an auditorium full of men. wonder how many Timothy would pick. Do you reckon you'd be on his shortlist? Do you handle the Bible well? Do you know your way around it well enough to know what's important and what's not? Can you tell the difference between a foolish, stupid argument and a serious biblical disagreement? Why don't you have the self-discipline and the commitment and the focus to just start reading some decent Christian books? Maybe do that correspondence course that you've been putting off for so long. As leaders of our churches and families, we have to handle the Bible well. And we have to have a pure heart. Do you? Are you gentle? Or are you pushy? Do you like sort of pushing your weight around a bit? If you do, you will be ineffective at passing on the gospel. And therefore, you will be ineffective at guarding the gospel. Because remember, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about, isn't it? The whole, the whole chapter, the whole letter, the driving force behind it is that the news concerning Jesus is so important that it needs to be guarded. The news of Jesus is so important that it needs to be valued and it needs to be cared for. A couple of years back there was a news story about a little country church in England that was doing some spring cleaning and as part of their clean-up they uh, sent an old dusty painting that had been uh, sitting on the floor in the foyer a way to be uh, cleaned up and restored to see if they would actually hang it on the wall. They discovered that the painting was in fact done by one of the Italian masters and it was worth an estimated $10 million dollars. The story goes on because having discovered that it was such a valuable piece of art, they obviously wanted to figure out how on earth it got in their foyer in the first place. Why do we have an Italian master sitting on the floor gathering dust? It seems that years earlier a fellow had bought it from an antique shop as a gift for his wife. His wife, however, didn't like it. She thought the picture was too dark, too gloomy, but too depressing. So what else do you do with stuff you don't want? You donate it to the local church. Imagine how they felt now. Imagine how she would have felt knowing 
that they had passed over something of such incredible value because they didn't think it was important. Can you imagine being so casual about something as precious and valuable as that? And that's nothing compared to the tragedy of being casual about the gospel. Can you imagine having the words of eternal life and not treasuring them? Can you imagine having the words of eternal life and not safeguarding them? The gospel is so special, it's worth protecting and it's worth protecting by persevering in it and it's worth protecting by passing it on. 566 days to the Olympic Games in Sydney. And one of the events I love watching at those sort of uh, events are the running relays. You know, we get a team of runners working together flat out so as to get a baton around the track. And part of the excitement is that there are basically two things in a, in a relay that have to work well if it's going to be successful. Firstly, each runner must run their race hard and they must do their bit to the end. If they pull a muscle, if they give up out of tiredness, if they run out of the lane, the relay breaks down. Each runner must endure. But the relay can also break down if if each runner doesn't just hand over the baton. No point in running your leg if you don't just give the baton over. It's a relay. The baton is meant to be passed. Friends, you and I and Timothy and the Apostle Paul we're in a gospel relay. And as men we have unique roles in that relay. As leaders of our churches, as leaders of our families. The next generation is relying on us to hand them the baton. And just like any other relay, in this one you can mess up in two ways. You can either pull out, you can break down, you cannot persevere and fail to finish your leg. Or you can mess up by finishing your leg alright but simply not passing it on. Persevering in the gospel, passing on the gospel. Both have got to happen if we are to be as effective as possible at, at protecting the gospel. Both have got to happen if the good deposit is to be guarded. Both have got to happen if the gospel is to multiply and survive into the future. So let's do both of them. Let's actually do what Paul says in this chapter. Let's be men who are productive for the kingdom of God. Let's be men who who so see the value of the gospel that we will do whatever it takes to guard the good deposit. Let's be men who finish our race full of running. Let's be men who have commitment of a hard-working farmer. Let's be men who have the self-discipline of a striving athlete. Let's be men who have the single-mindedness of an undistracted soldier. Let's be men who demand of our church leaders that they are reliable teachers and handlers of God's word. Let's be men who strive to be leaders who are skilled workmen at handling God's word. Let's be men who are so holy that we are useful servants for our Lord all the time. Let's be men who endure and entrust. Let's be men who persevere and pass on. 
Let's be men who guard the good deposit because it is so valuable. It would be scandalous if we didn't. Let's pray together. And I want to pause and just in the quietness you might have some things that you need to talk to God about. Because maybe there's some priorities you need to change. Some things you have to cut out of your life. Maybe you know there's some things that are entangling you and are a real threat to you finishing the race. You need to talk to God about that. And maybe you need to talk about others in your family or your friends who you need to take the risk and pass the gospel to. You need to talk to God about them. So why don't you do that now? Father, thank you for entrusting us with the gospel. We want to guard it well. Thank you for your word to us, that it sharpens us and challenges us to do that. And Father, we pray that your good work would continue in us, that your spirit would shape us and change us. And the things that we see in your word we would just not agree on but that in your strength we would do them. Amen.